So there's a question that I think a lot of different people have asked in one way or another, you know, maybe on a road trip or on the bus or something like that. Here's the question. If you could have any superpower, what would your superpower be? Have you ever played a game like that? I was in a staff meeting here recently at the Ridge, and I asked that question. If you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? Like, what superpower would you ask for? You can kind of guess who said what. I mean, I didn't say any of these, so you can judge as much as you'd like. Lots of people said flying. One person said being able to eat anything they wanted. That's a good superpower. One person said making clothes fit or like anything fit no matter what. One person said to make their spouse communicate better. I didn't say that, Abby. I didn't say it, okay? Not communicate with everyone, by the way, just their spouse. I thought that was hilarious. I think if you play that game, sometimes you can learn something about the person that you're talking to. My son Asher, he loves superheroes. And it's Asher's 10th birthday today. And he said, hey, I want a shout out. And I said, well, then you have to answer this question. What superhero power do you want? And he said, shape-shifting. And I am 100% sure it's because he wants to be up to no good. Like, 100% sure. But when it comes to superheroes, we want them to kind of be fast, smart, funny, rich, powerful, wise, good-looking, accessible, you know, that type of thing. Any Marvel movie, you know, fan people here, you know, I think we kind of like the Tony Stark, you know, Iron Man type of character because we want the super rich, super smart, super powerful in a super suit, super funny, super good looking, super good at their job. And we think, okay, maybe I can kind of be like that. But did you notice something? Anyone I've ever asked that question to doesn't say anything about being weak. They don't pick a superpower that's kind of stupid. No one picked a useless power, you know, like the power to be on time. Nobody used that one. Some of us could use it, like we would need it, but no one used that one. No one used, you know, the power to get a good night's sleep. You know, melatonin man. You know, no one used that one. You know, fighting crime one snooze at a time. I don't know. We pick super strength, not super weakness. We pick super intelligence, not super stupidity. We pick super speed, not super sloth. We want our heroes to be super. And I think deep down inside, we can all maybe admit this, we kind of want to feel super too. And when it comes to the things in our lives, we want those superpowers. And maybe it's not like the super strength type of powers, but we want to be able to navigate things with superhuman ability. We want to be our very best in every situation. We want to be our best at work. We want to be the best husband or the best spouse or the best mother. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want to exceed everybody's expectations. We want to be viewed as super. We want to fight and we want to win whatever battle is going on in our lives. Now, do you have a battle that you're up against in your life right now? My guess is you probably do in one way or another. Maybe it's one inside of you. Maybe it's one outside of you. There's a book in the Bible, and we're in this series that we're calling Not So Superheroes, and it's about the book of Judges. And this week we're going to talk about one of those judges, military leaders. His name is Gideon. And he's one of my favorite judges, but maybe not for the reasons that you think. Now, here's the setup. We've been talking about this. We'll talk about the entire series. This is the sin spiral. Every single judge that is in the book of Judges kind of follows this 
progression, and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So just a reminder, so the people of God sin, they turn away from what God wants them to do, and then they're oppressed by the Canaanites living in the land that the Israelites are living in. Today we're going to talk about the Midianites, just a people group. And so today the Midianites are oppressing the people of Israel, and then the people of Israel cry out to God. They repent. They say, I'll follow you again. And then God sends someone to deliver them out of that oppression a judge. And that judge brings peace for a period of time, usually the lifetime of the judge, and rinse and repeat. And the book of Judges keeps getting worse and keeps getting worse and keeps getting worse. And this story starts the same way. It starts with sin and oppression. So this is how the story of Gideon starts. This is Judges 6.1. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, sin. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years, oppression. Then the people of Israel realize that they're in a bad spot. So they repented. They started to seek after God. This is 6.6. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And then enter not-so-superhero Gideon. This is the story of how God delivered the people of Israel in a really unexpected way using a really unexpected person. So here's the story of Gideon. This is kind of how it starts. An angel of the Lord, a messenger from God, was sent to talk to this guy named Gideon. And Gideon was not the expected military leader. He didn't look like that at all. He wouldn't be who we would pick out of a crowd to go like, yeah, I'm going to follow him. At best, I would describe him as hesitant, but at worst, I think his superhero name would be Captain Coward. So this angel of the Lord appears to Captain Coward Gideon. And this is what the angel said. He says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Is he mocking Gideon? No, I don't think he is. I think he knows that inside of Gideon is a mighty hero. And he's saying, okay, here we go. Are you ready? And I think Gideon kind of responds the way that maybe you and I would respond. That's why I love kind of the book of Gideon so much. He goes, uh, excuse me, what did you just call me? I'm not a mighty hero, man. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he's like, hey, actually, God, why are we even in the situation that we're in? Like, we're being oppressed. People are nasty. I'm kind of hiding from those people. God, why did you abandon us? Why? So the angel says, mighty hero. And Gideon goes, why did you abandon us, God? That is a weird way to respond to that. But I think he knew the answer to the question. Like, why, God? Have you ever done that? Like, you're in a situation. You're like, why, God, am I in this situation? And you actually, like, 100% know why you're in the situation. Like, why, God, did this happen to me? And they're like, well, uh, I mean, you didn't study for the test, so you failed the test. Like, that's why. And I think Gideon's in that situation. He knows exactly why. He knows that Israel has turned away from God. And still, Gideon is going, you know, I just don't know if I even want to have this conversation. And the angel kept prompting Gideon. He, he wouldn't leave him alone. He's like, okay, hey, Gideon, Go. God will provide you what you need. I want you to go fight the Midianites. And Gideon's like, uh, absolutely not. And the angel persisted, go Gideon. God will give you the strength. God will be with you. And Gideon is like, look, angel man, like my family is the weakest family. And I'm the weakest person in the weakest family. So why in the world would anyone follow me to go fight the Midianites who are really powerful? I'm scared. I'm weak. I don't have any superpowers. I don't feel like a mighty hero. And then the angel said, God will be with you. And Gideon goes, 
Prove it. That's why I love Gideon so much. Because as much as we act like we're all like ready to fight, that is totally what I would have done. A hundred percent. Like, God will be with you. I'm like, doesn't feel like God is with me. Can you show me? Like, with like fireworks or something? Like, write it in the sky. Send me an email. A text would be fine. So that's what he does. He says, okay, prove it. So then Gideon goes and he cooks a young goat with bread and broth and he presented it to the angel. And that's a weird thing to us. That doesn't seem like much, but actually this is a pretty big faith move by Gideon. He's saying, look, this is a significant cost to me and I'm, I'm going to put it before you kind of as a sacrifice to say, hey, if you're really you know, from God, you're going to show me. And this is what happened. This is Judges 6.21. This is what happened. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of the staff in his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that Gideon had brought. Like, whoosh! This isn't like the hibachi, like where like they do the little choo-choo train. That's not what he's talking about. This isn't planned. This is 100% a miracle. From a rock, flames come out. And Gideon goes, okay, maybe you are a messenger from God. And so Gideon like starts to test the waters. He starts to obey the instructions. So that night, Gideon goes and he takes down an altar from a false god. But he did it at night, remember, because he's Captain Coward. But he still obeyed, kind of. And then the people of the town woke up and they saw that the altar had been taken down and they found out that Gideon was the one who took it down and they're out for blood and they're like yelling and screaming and torches and pitchforks and that type of thing. And Gideon's dad gets out in front of the mob and Gideon's dad says, hey, if your God is so powerful, couldn't your God defend himself? And I don't know exactly what happened, but I think this is kind of in my mind's eye. They're like, oh yeah, that's a good point. Okay, see ya. And then they just went home. So Gideon is like, wow, maybe there is something to this God stuff. And he started to do what God had asked him to do. Mainly, he started to raise up an army with God's spirit and God's strength. And people started to show up. They're like, okay, let's go. But Gideon is a coward. And he's still afraid. And so he goes, okay, God, I know that you did like the the food thing and the fire and all that stuff. And I know that like you stopped this mob from trying to get me. And I know that people are showing up, but I would still kind of like you to prove it again that you're with me. So he said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay out a piece of wool. Maybe we'd call it a fleece of wool. And if it's wet with dew in the morning and the ground under the fleece is dry in the morning, I know that you're with me. And that's exactly what happened. But Gideon was still afraid. And he goes, okay, all right, okay, all right, okay, okay, God, okay. Have you ever done that in prayer life? Okay, God, okay, seriously, okay. Prove it again, though. Like, one more time. See, because the first time, like I told you to put the dew on the, the fleece, and that's kind of what would happen naturally. And so this time I'm going to ask for a different type of, of miracle. I'm going to put the wool down. And if the wool is dry, but under the wool is wet, then I'll know that you're with me. And God's like, okay, dude. And he did it again. And so Gideon's like, okay, you're with me. I'm going to go off to war. But God didn't want them to think that they won the war by themselves. They want, he wanted to make sure that they knew that they had to rely on God. 
So God decided that they had too many people. So they show up, they're kind of gathering together, and there's 32,000 warriors. And God told Gideon to say, anybody who is afraid to fight can go home. Right before they went into war, he said, anybody who's afraid to fight can go home. So 22,000 of them went home. I would have gone home. I'm like, oh, see ya. So there are only 10,000 left. Check this out. This is Judges 7, 4. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I'll test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. So Gideon is like, okay, warriors, come on down and we're going to get a drink. And anybody who cups water and laps it up like a dog, anybody who does that can stay. And anybody who like bends down and drinks from the stream has to go. And that's what happens. And 300 men drank from their hands. So everyone else was sent home. And if you're keeping track at home, there are 300 Israelites and Midianites numbered about 135,000. Then God said, now you're ready. Go to the Midianite camp, Gideon. I want you to listen to a campfire story. And so he goes down there and there are these two Midianites there and they're sitting around a campfire in their tent and they're like, okay, I just had a dream, one of the guys said. This, This is what it is. Judges 7.13. This is a Midianite saying this to his buddy. I had this dream. In my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, and it turned it over and knocked it flat. And if my buddy said this to me, I'd be like, what are you eating before bed, man? Like, But the guy that was with this fella, his friend said, I know what that means. That means that God has given... Gideon a victory. And Gideon, when he heard this, was pumped. So he's like, okay, let's go. And he divided 300 men into three groups of 100. And he said, okay, here's the plan. Everybody has a horn, right? And when I blow the horn, everybody else is going to blow the horn. And they all had these clay jars and they smashed these clay jars and they threw them down and to make a lot of noise. And they had these torches to make it seem like they were surrounded in this camp. And so we're going to do it at the same time. We're going to blow a horn. We're going to throw down the clay jar. And then we're going to raise up the torch and we're going to say a sword for the Lord and the sword for Gideon. And if it was me, I'd be like, so which is first? Like I would have gotten mixed up probably, but they all went, okay, here we go. And they did the horn and it wasn't like a jazz horn, like beep, beep, doo, 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 like it was a big ram sounding horn, make a huge noise. And then the people in the camp went into a panic. God caused them to fight against each other. And those who weren't killed started to run away. And I have to tell you, if I were writing this story, like if this was a Marvel major motion picture type of thing, I would roll the credits right here. Like they did the, the thing and they won and like everybody's screaming. They're like, yeah, we did it. Like Gideon, yeah. But that's not how the story ends. Gideon actually takes these 300 men and he continues to chase the enemy And they asked for help from other Israelites. They asked for food from other Israelites. And those people said this. This is Judges 8, 6. Well, catch Zabah and Zalmunna. Those are the kings of Midian. And then we'll feed your army. Well, Gideon didn't like that very much. And he went to the next town. And they said the same thing. Go win first. Go catch the kings first. Then we'll help you. And Gideon and his men went 
and they, they took on the Midianite army. They took them by surprise again, and it was about 15,000 men. Remember, they still only had 300. They'd already killed 120,000 because of what God did. And they caught the two kings, Zabah and Zalmunna. And then Gideon told his son, Jether, okay, I want you to behead these two kings. But Gideon's a little bit of a coward, and so is Jether's a little bit of a coward. So they didn't do it, and they argued back and forth for a little bit. And then the kings yell at Gideon, be a man, like off with my head. Kill us yourself, man. So he did. Judges 8.22, then the Israelites said to Gideon, be our ruler. You and your son and your grandson will be our rulers for you have rescued us from Midian. And then Gideon said something that is such a bummer. Gideon told everybody, okay, I'm not going to be your ruler. I want you to give me a gold earring from the plunder of war. The Midianites had earrings like in their, in their nose and in their ears and sometimes in their hands. And so the people of Israel like took the gold and they put it together and they gave it to Gideon and then Gideon melted it up and made thread from it and took the gold and made something called an ephod. And that's like an apron that priests would wear. Ephod is kind of like the priest's uniform, if you think about it that way. And then the Israelites started worshiping the apron. Roll credits. That's not even a good like after credit scene in a Marvel movie. What in the world? See, there was peace for 40 years. Gideon ended up having 70 sons because he lived like a king, even though he didn't rule like a king. And that's not really what God intended. And one of his sons named Abimelech, he, had, he was from one of Gideon's concubines, which wasn't what God intended either. And Abimelech turned out to be a really bad dude. And ended up killing 70 of his half-brothers. Only one escaped. That's the end. And as soon as Gideon died, the Israelites went back to worshiping the false gods. Just rinse and repeat. And they didn't show any loyalty to Gideon's family. The sin spiral was already happening. Gideon, even though he helped them out of depression and oppression, he didn't really set Israel up for the future at all. And that is an incredible epic, not-so-super-hero story. And one of the reasons that I love the story of Gideon is that if we're being honest, I think we would relate to him way more than we act like we can. When we see it on this side, we're like, go Gideon! And then when he makes a mistake, we're like, idiot! But I think that there are things that we can learn from a story like this. So I'd like to highlight just a couple of different categories of things. What we can learn from Gideon and his not-so-superhero story. Here's the first one. God does the unexpected. I don't know why it keeps surprising us, but he does. Throughout the story of Gideon, over and over and over again, things didn't happen maybe the way that we would have written the story. For example, God uses unexpected people. God shows up and he said, okay, I'm not going to choose the person who's powerful. I'm not going to choose the person who has military training. I'm going to choose the person who thinks himself a coward. I'm going to choose a person who has no business leading. And I'm going to call him a mighty hero before he's done anything. That's powerful. God shows up and picks an unexpected person, an unqualified person. God's direction can lead us out of what is comfortable. And oftentimes, if we're following God, it's not safe. 
It's actually quite dangerous. And if the battle before you, I don't know what it is, but if there's something stirring up inside of you, if you're fighting something internally, externally, if God is asking you to go fight a battle for him and you're going, really God? Like me? Hey, God uses unexpected people and you're not alone. Gideon felt that way. A lot of people in the Bible feel that way. I feel that way. But God uses unexpected people. And another unexpected thing in this story is God is patient with our doubts. And I love this so much. Gideon asks, not for one, not for two. He asks for three signs from God before he really starts to follow. God shows up every single time. We're allowed to have doubts. Now, the point of the story isn't for us to put wool outside all the time. That's not the point. The point is, even when we don't have the faith, God shows up over and over and over again. And we're wondering, okay, how can I follow you, God? Is God really with me? He shows up. He knows your heart. And the answer is, yes, God is with you. Here's another unexpected thing. God asks us to step backward to move forward. I don't like this one. But think about this story. Gideon, go fight, the angel says. Gideon, let's go. Mighty hero, go fight. And Gideon's like, okay, I finally believe you. Let's get all these men together. And then God's like, too many. I'm like, okay, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but okay, I'll follow, I'll follow you. And then God says again, still too many. He's like, 300, God? That doesn't make any sense. But each step backward actually pushed Gideon forward to be closer to where God wanted him to be. Where did God want him to be? Where does God want us to be? Fully reliant on him. That's where God wants us to be. God didn't need any of them. Did you notice that in the story? They didn't go down there and fight. They smashed and made noise. My three-year-old daughter can do that. God can show up because God is powerful. He didn't need them to do it. He asks us sometimes to move backward, to step forward. God wants to show his strength, not through our strength, but through our weakness. And if you lack confidence in what God is asking you to do, that's okay. Because it's not your power anyway, it's God's. And in the story of Gideon, his power showed up in some pretty amazing ways, right? All these unexpected ways. But even when we think we're at our weakest, here's the other unexpected thing. God provides what we need to fight. Now, it's often how we, not how we expect it. But God provides what we need to fight. And I don't know what fight you have going on in your life right now. Do you have a battle raging inside of you? Is it a battle with addiction? Is it a battle with relationships? Is it a battle with finances and you're just trying to wrestle it to the ground in your own strength? Is it a battle with depression? Is it a battle with pride or with worth or with safety or security or people pleasing? Or maybe God is saying, hey, this is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do. And you know it. And you've put a sign out and another sign out and another sign out. And you're like, I still don't know, God. Whatever battle you're fighting, God provides what we need to fight. Not what we want to fight, not more men to fight, but what we need. And the reality is, if we're paying attention to the story of Gideon, what we really need is for him to be with us. And that's it. That's it. 
Did you notice 300 men won a battle smashing a jar and yelling? They didn't fight. God fights. It wasn't their master planning. It was God's plan. And God gives you what you need. And God shows up unexpectedly when we're out of options. God does the unexpected all the time. God saves the unsavable. He loves the unlovable. He uses the unusable. He provides the unprovidable. He moves the unmovable. And we want to roll the credits right here. Like this is where I should probably end. Because we're like, God provides. Yeah, let's go. But there's kind of one more category that really stands out in the story of Gideon. And I think we have to talk about it. So yeah, God does the unexpected and he provides what we need to fight this battle. But here's this one other thing. Faithfulness matters. Gideon was faithful-ish. Sometimes he made some really boneheaded decisions. Remember the end of the story, one specific thing happens and his faithfulness kind of runs out. This is Judges 8.27. So Gideon, this is right after they won, by the way, right after. Gideon made a sacred ephod from the gold that he asked them to give and he put it in Ophrah, his hometown. But soon, while Gideon was still alive, all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it. And it became a trap for Gideon and his family. Why do you think he made the golden item? There's an answer to that. He thought it would give access to God. Sometimes we think we need something else to access God. We need to go somewhere else. We need to do something else, that it's up to us. But he had already been told over and over and over again that God is with him. He had been shown over and over and over again that God is with them. So what was the ephod? It was nothing more than a piece of gold cloth. And Gideon, instead of continuing to lead the people of Israel like God intended, continuing to trust God, he decided he's going to create something that's going to take his place. And his faithfulness ran out. And the Israelites ended up worshiping this apron, an object, replacing God with something that they could see and touch because that's easier. And Gideon, who was so preoccupied in the beginning of his career with doing what was right, and so preoccupied with wanting to do God's will that he asked three times for a sign, ended his career by making an object that he mistakenly hoped would provide access to a God that was already there. So close, but so far. What's that old quote? It's the close only counts and... Horseshoes and hand grenades. I don't think either one of those things had been completely uh, invented yet. But here's the point. A lack of faithfulness has consequences. I don't like that point. But that's one theme that's in the book of Judges over and over again. Over and over again, a lack of faithfulness in God has consequences. And some of the consequences are severe. And we see this in Gideon's story. And if we're honest, maybe we see this in our own stories too. We see this all over the book of Judges though. But I don't want you to miss out of the hope of Gideon's faithfulness. Because God will give you what you need to fight the battle before you. If we rely on him. 
If we don't, it doesn't go well. But God has proven it over and over and over again that he is faithful, that he will show up. He proved it with Gideon. He proved it with Jesus and the cross. And I bet he's proven it in your life too. But if we don't rely on him, a lack of faithfulness has consequences. So what does it look like for you today to rely on God? He's faithful. He shows up. He knows what you need. He provides for what you need in the way that you need it. And he's going to help you fight the battle because the battle is his anyway. But today, what does it look like for you to totally rely on him? We have a story from somebody who's going to share exactly that. Hi, my name is Kelly Goodhelms. I am a mother of two girls, Chloe and Ava. I recently remarried. It'll be a year this March. We have been attending the Ridge for about three years, and I am a survivor of domestic violence. My story doesn't take place in Indiana. In October of 2009, I found myself at a crossroad getting ready to get my children and myself out of that relationship and into safety. I think looking back, I had the awareness that I could maybe control what was going on in my home, even predict, de-escalate things at times. And then there were times when it got out of control and it was not a safe environment to be in. I found myself over the nine years of marriage becoming very um, empty, broken. I lost my self-esteem, my self-confidence. I lost reality of what was true, what he wanted me to believe was true, and just found myself feeling discarded, unloved. I, at the time, um, was living a double life, uh, the life that was outside that I wanted people to see, and then there was another life on the inside behind closed doors that I didn't want anyone to see. We did not have a church family at that time that we leaned in on. We weren't involved in a small group. Um, and neither one of us had a relationship with God. I didn't really know how I was going to plan to break away, how I was going to leave. There were so many details. Um, How was I gonna pay rent? How was I gonna provide groceries, electric, shoes, clothes? And I started thinking about all of this as I was preparing for that day to leave. There were so many details that I just didn't know how they were going to all come together. And without having the relationship with God and having an outreach to talk to, I felt very isolated, like I was all alone going through this. I don't know if it was prayers or if it was just me throwing it out there. If you're there, I need help. But then he showed up and he did it in a way that captured my attention. I started seeing hearts. And through the heart, I started having this relationship and communicating with him. And in January of 2010, I gave my life to Christ all over again, completely being submissive. 
And in April of 2010, we found our way home to Indiana, where I had an attorney tell me I would never see the state of Indiana again. It hasn't been an easy ride. It hasn't been one that didn't have tears or there weren't pain, but he has provided. I've always had a job. I've always had food. He's led it on people's hearts to provide for my kids, clothes, shoes, gas money. To tell you my story is to tell of him. He is my provider, my defender, my person who restored me and my girls. I'm truly thankful for everything that God has done. A setback that was to destroy me ended up being my setup. And I praise God for that.